Hello there, I'm Jamie Adams. And I'm Ian McAllister. And the stars are right, the cult has gathered. And our special guest reporter has finally arrived, summoned through the portal, drawn to the flame. Yes, it's Peter Hopkins. How are you doing, Peter? Uh, yeah, I'm doing great. How are you folks? We're very well. Thank you very much for joining us as our roving cultist reporter. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, uh, I'm Peter. I run with uh, my co-host Frank a podcast on specifically on Arkham Horror, the card game, the living card game, to give it its full title. I we... may have heard of it. I may have heard <laughs> of it. I, I think Ian's mentioned it once, and maybe Sam. I'm a small fan. <laughs> it's a good game. It's a good game. You, yeah, it's a good game. Thoroughly outnumbered now, Jamie. I've always been outnumbered. I'll get him playing it eventually. Yeah, so, so what we try and do is a podcast where we don't just open up a pack and look at the cards. We try and talk about lots of stuff around the game. We do uh, reviews of the books cycles are based on, talk to the the developer of the game, try and do as much as we can that isn't just reading out cards on the podcast. Uh, yeah, and we'll have a lot of fun. I, I listen to your cast on a regular basis. Oh, well, thank you very, very much. Well, thank you for joining us, Peter. And this is Brainwaves, bringing you the best in board game and tabletop gaming news. These are the headlines for the week beginning the 24th of June, 2019. Chess piece in a drawer, worth a lot more than you think. Awards season moves swiftly along with the Origins Awards. And the unfortunate passing of James Mathy. All this and more on this episode of Brainwaves. Yes, we're starting with a little bit of sad news this week on Brainwaves. James Mathy, owner of Minion Games, designer, Kickstarter advice giver, one bookshelf developer, unfortunately passed away over June. Uh, it's a very sudden death that struck the community quite hard. There's been a lot of um, outpouring of sympathy for James's family, and we at Brainwaves would just like to reflect that and pass on our sympathies to his friends and family at this terrible time. There's a few people who have put out some very touching blogs about James and uh, the impact he had on the community. He, he gave out a lot of advice to you people getting into board games, into designing and publishing. And we'll put a few links to those in the show notes so you can have a look yourself as well. And yeah, just uh, our, our sympathies are brainwaves to James's family and friends. Well, I have some exciting news that could almost come from the Brainwaves Archaeological Garden. A chess piece that was bought in 1964 for £5 of 1960s money, which is about the equivalent of about £100 sterling today, which, uh, stood in a, or which sat in a drawer for a very long time. Just a chess piece. Someone took it out, valued it, and it's not just any old chess piece. Oh no, it is a piece of the world-famous Lewis Chessmen and has been valued between £600,000 and £1,000,000 sterling. Now this piece... Check my drawers. I, I know. This is probably the first piece to be... No, not probably. This is the first piece to be confirmed as genuine in 200 years. Now, the Lewis Chessmen, for those of you who maybe have heard of it, maybe not too sure what it actually is about, they are chess pieces from 12th century chess sets basically made probably according to some archaeologists in Trondheim in Norway and they were lost for a long time uh, there are four four chess sets worth of pieces have been found um, they were discovered in 1831 in on Lewis in the Outer Hebrides of Scotland it's you know 
surviving medieval chess sets are incredibly rare. Um, the, the, the original hoard was 93 artifacts, including 78 chess pieces, uh, of which 78 are owned and usually exhibited at the British Museum. And 11... Oh, no, sorry, I'm going to have to change that. Let me do that again. The hoard that was originally found in 1831 contained 93 artifacts, 82 of which are owned and exhibited in the British Museum, and 11 in the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh. The piece that was found in the drawer was a warder, which today is approximate uh, a rook piece. Uh, and it's made of walrus tusk. In fact, all the pieces are either made of walrus ivory or whale teeth. And this is pretty fantastic news. There's only five pieces from the almost complete collection of four chess sets missing. Only five pieces. Now, maybe they're lost for the rest of humanity at the bottom of the sea. Maybe they haven't. Who knows? Maybe I should get back out in the garden and dig a bit deeper. I think you should go and get your hands a bit mucky, Ian. Well, I'll not be doing that just yet because it's award season once more. And, well, award season continues, I suppose. And the Origins Awards have just been announced. And there are no huge surprises here. Root has cleaned up a little bit. It got Game of the Year and Board Game. The Mind, of course, got Card Game and Collectible Game, our personal favourite at uh, Brainwaves, Keyforge has managed to scoop up that particular award. There's a few other uh, bits and pieces in there. A role-playing game went to Vampire the Masquerade and Dungeons and Dragons made an appearance in a role-playing game supplement with Mordenkind's Tome of Foes. But it is worth noting that uh, Vlada Chabatel, who is a favourite designer of mine personally, uh, was inducted into the Hall of Fame, which is really nice to see. Vlada Chabatel, for those people who are not aware, is uh, a designer and co-founder of the company Czech Games Edition, or CGE. He also designed games such as Mage Knight. Uh, CGE uh, has put out a host of games, including things like Codenames and Adrenaline, also, which styled also itself... Also Vladivell. Yes, Adrenaline, which styles itself as a first-person shooter as a board game. And the game we played, two games we played recently at the UK Games Expo, Letter Jam and Sanctum. Neither of which were designed by Vladivell. Also, there is a Rising Star Award, I noticed, Ian, which is honours individuals in the early stages of their career. And it was awarded to someone who I, I don't... In the nicest way possible, I don't think he deserves it because it was Jamie Stegmeyer, founder of Stonemeyer Games and designer of games like Scythe and Viticulture. But not exactly a new designer. <laughs> That's my thing. Jamie Stegmeyer is a great designer. I'm not doubting that, although I have not played his games. I have seen people who have played his games and speak very highly of him. I don't believe he's up and coming. No, that was not that is not a word I would use to describe Jamie Stengmar, that's for certain. But if someone would like if someone would like to explain to me why they chose it, I would absolutely love to hear it. And you know what, if you give me a good enough argument, I might go, Yeah, you know, that makes sense. But looking at the body of work that he has brought out and the reputation of the work he has brought out, not saying that, you know, first time designers always bring bad games. That's not true at all. It's just going, Wow, he's brought out some quite a few games now. I, I, is he still a rising star? I mean, maybe they want to give... It's the first year they're giving that award out, so maybe they're wanting to give it a bit of kudos, saying, like, here's a really good designer we're giving this award to, and in future years they'll maybe give it to people who are more towards the start of their careers. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, the Oscars is famous for giving people Oscars in the wrong year, effectively, <laughs> just because they're yeah. finally... 
the Oscar the Oscar panel finally gone. Yeah, we should probably give that person an award now. Actors throughout history of war have won Oscars for the wrong films, yeah. just because it's their time yeah. more than anything. So it might be something along those lines. But yeah, I was really happy to see Vladimir Battle inducted into Hall of Fame. I think he's a Vladimir is a really interesting designer. I think his body of work is so varied, and all all his games are really really different. It, I I think that's definitely a a well deserved award. So well done, Vlata, and well done all the people who won awards from the Origins Awards. And we'll no doubt be back next year with more of those. Yes, I'd just like to make a small addendum that the other inductees to the Adventure Game Hall of Fame at the Origins Awards were Gerald Gerald Brom, a writer and illustrator, Vlada Chivatel's game Mage Knight, and the game Apples to Apples, which <laughs> might more infamous, infamously be known as the game that basically made uh, Cards Against Humanity be published. From my point of view... Um... It's nice to see Keyforge on the list. Yeah, it's it, obviously it's a it's a big name. It's a, it's a blockbuster game, but I just think it's so interesting everything that game is doing. Yeah, I, I agree. I I love Keyforge. Yeah, it's I, fine. I, I, I saw it being played competitively at. I mean, here's just a little snippet. The, the new pack came out at the expo. Yeah, and yes. if you bought one of the new expansion packs, you got a ticket that let you play in the competition. Oh, cool! Oh, that's nice. I was like that. I that's mean, really just smart. like Chef's Kiss, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that's just. Uh, did you see? Like, there's quite a few people at Expo who got their own custom sets. So, no pun included, got a bunch of decks given to them that had the randomly generated title on the back, but every single one included. No pun included. Amazing. Nice. And, uh, like uh, Paul Grogan got a set which all had gaming rules in them. And so they can really, basically really like cool. they can basically do them as like sort of gifts for. Okay, I'm going to use this word, but I hate using it. Influencers in the hobby, yeah, uh, or like sort of like corporate events, that kind of thing. I guess you can sort of like the really cool. that kind of thing. So it's really cool that they can manipulate them like that. But yeah, I I I really like Keyforge for just that thing of being able to turn up at a tournament, crack a deck open, and play. Probably everyone that listens to your show will know that. Uh, Games Workshop's new paint range has just come out, the contrast paints. This is just a, a, a display of what a juggernaut like Games Workshop can do in terms of saturating the market with, no pun intended, news about their new product. Uh, I think it's one of these products they're, they're looking for new players to take up. Yeah. So they really want to get the word out. At the same time, so have you have you used them a little bit already, uh, I, Pierre? I haven't used them. They've only just come out this week, so I've got some on order. But they should oh, yeah. arrive today or tomorrow. Yeah, and it's my understanding they're like a base coat and a highlight in one kind of thing. So That's the intention. Yeah, yeah. The intention is that you can yeah you can put it over uh, a special undercoat that you pri- that you put on with a uh, with a, an aerosol, and then it will effectively be ba- battle ready with a single coat of paint. Cool. And you can incorporate them into into your 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 more detailed painting regime. You can highlight over the top of them. But a lot of people are saying models look fine and even quite good if you just use this product over the over your base coat. Uh, people are experimenting putting them over different undercoats. So you can get an amazing candy metallic red if you uh, base with a with a the bulk and metal, which is the the standard. All oh, right. Okay. Uh, yeah dark silver base coat that, that Games Workshop do, you put the red over the top of that and they just look stunning. They look yeah. like a metallic red car. Cool. Yeah, we, we talked about them a little bit on our Expo cast and we were wondering like if 
board game painters would pick them up because it's a quick and easy method for getting your sort of board game miniatures painted quickly even if you don't want to spend a lot of time doing that yeah um it's a, it's a good way to get those those kind of minis painted so after reading a lot about them and people using them i would say although a lot of people have it in their mind as a beginner's product i think yes to an extent but maybe more of a speed painter's product sounds right up my street yeah so you know you know how to paint you know how to apply your your paint well and in the right areas but you've got 50 orcs and you want to paint them over the course of a weekend not over the course of a year yeah it's worth reading up on them if you want to use them because you need to use a special medium rather than water to thin them uh, you yeah. want to get the primer that goes along with them as well all the pictures i've seen they produce really really good effects i think there has been a few supply issues so you might if you go down to your games workshop store this week to pick some up you probably won't find them but they're looking to restock pretty soon i think by the end of june so the Great and the Good Asthma Day have once more blessed retail with a new Asthma Play program. Yes, that is a terrible name, but is they're basically their sort of supported play program that they're relaunching in July. Now this comes with sort of theme boxes for retailers, and the theme in July is around adventure, and the July one is going to contain uh, some extended art hero cards for Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth from Fancy Flight. Extended art hero card basically means it'll be like sort of full bleed art around the, bo- around the, around the card. It won't have any borders or anything. Uh, a new survivor for Dead of Winter from Plaid Hat. Metal first player coin for Nagaraja from, Hurricane, from Hurricane. Uh, three different promos for the Dice Forge Rebellion expansion that's just come out. And uh, the one that I'm most interested in, special special operations maps for Captain Sonar from Matago. Oh yes, I cannot oh, wait. Yeah. I I will. I, I don't want to buy the whole box, but if anyone is looking to get rid of, or I'll happily pay a bit of money for some special ops maps because Captain Sonar, baby. Or if Asma Day, if you'd like uh, Brainwaves to review said promos, then please do send us a copy. But yeah, so retailers have do have to stock quite a bit of stock to get this, and I'm not 100% sure whether it's going to be worth it for them. Uh, so it's retailers have to stock two of each of the uh, what are called Asma Day's bestsellers titles. Now, looking at a list of, from the US from March of this year, that contains about 45 to 50 titles. So that's a, quite a lot of product that they have to stock in order to get this, get this thing. And I don't know whether that's entirely worth it. I mean, did, would you guys go to events like this for like, for like Dead of Winter, for Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth? Would you go to a, a, a shop for an event like this to get these promos? What do you think? No. No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, like organized plays fine for like something like as we were talking about earlier, Keyforge or or Netrunner or, or something like that, where you're sort of there's a competitive scene and you're honing decks and, and getting better at the game, that kind of thing. But just a more, I, I think they're they're trying to aim it at a more ca- slightly more casual kind of market, and it just doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't quite ring true for me. It doesn't quite feel right. None of the games you've mentioned are really what I would call like a lifestyle game. No. which is a, like a collectible game or something like that, that you spend a lot of time where you might want to pimp your collection out a bit. Yeah, I mean, I can see Lord of the Rings Journeys to Middle-Earth a little bit and, you know, getting an like, extra map for Captain Sonar is nice, but the yeah. rest of it's kind of like, you might, you'll probably be able to buy this stuff later from like Board Game Geek's uh, store or maybe yeah. pick them up at a con. It just doesn't quite feel like it's worth it for the retailers to me. Netflix have announced they've made a deal to make a Magic the Gathering TV series, animated series. Yay. All right. Attached to it is, quite excitingly, are the directors, uh, the Russo brothers. Oh. 
obviously in, in the immediate uh, uh, past for the Avengers films and the Captain America films. Including the best the best Marvel film, which is The Winter Soldier. Yeah, come fight me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and going back a bit further than that, both Arrested Development and Community, I believe. So every so often one of them pops up, whether it's an Abed or, a, or, or the Dean. So yeah, they, they claim to have been playing magic since it came out. So they, they know the law pretty well. I don't know what aspect of the law it's going to focus on. I, I haven't played a lot of magic recently, but as far as I'm aware, the most recent expansions have been dipped much harder in the lore and they've been really working at getting the sort of lore to be a thing for the players to engage with. Yeah. So I think it'll be all the most recent sets, all the sort of like Planeswalker stuff and all that kind of that kind of thing they'll be looking at and concentrating on. We've talked a lot on the podcast about Cool Mini or Not, the company behind Rising Sun, Zombicide, uh, Railroad Inc. And many other games that have a lot of miniatures and have varying degrees of excitement depending on who you are. Uh, if you're Ian, not so much. If you're other people... Quite probably. Uh, what do you think about Cool Mania or not, Peter? Sort of neutral. <laughs> I haven't played many of, the, many of their games. I realised that was a bit of a, a shock. Don't sit of... on the fence, Peter. <laughs> Tell us what you really think. No, it's fine to sit on the fence. I sit on the fence with them. My perception is that they they do a lot of... They, they work with Kickstarter a lot, right? They put big projects yeah. on the Kickstarter. Yes, a lot of their Eric a lot of their Eric Langhelmed games such as Blood Rage and Rising Sun are the two famous examples where they go on Kickstarter and earn a lot of money, or also including De- uh, Cthulhu Death May Die, yes, which is coming, I think, very soon. And I, I guess, I know you folks in the past have talked about big companies, or, or companies that can theoretically finance their own games using a platform like Kickstarter as a, as a, a risk-free pre-order service. Apart from that, I've not, I don't think I've played any of their games. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to see a company that predominantly uh, operates online and is, is famous for its giant online campaigns and getting their money that way to basically get around bricks and mortar retail to see them going into brick and mortar retail and maybe we'll see more of that. This is obviously maybe this is obviously like yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? It's a weird arc. You would normally expect it the other way around. A, a company can't sustain the shop and then moves online instead. But here we've got that they got so big. <laughs> Red Dice Games in Edinburgh has an online presence and now they have a brick and mortar place and I think the the online element helps them sort of fund the brick and mortar. So maybe we'll see more of this. Maybe we'll see them popping up in America or further afield. And it it would be especially interesting if they then use these shops to basically help with their distribution in those areas. And we'll see what happens with that. So with Peter being on and his podcast basically being about sort of Arkham Horror LCG and very involved with sort of Lovecraftian elements so oh, i thought we'd sort of tackle a little bit of a tricky subject this week and that is that there's a sort of perennial question across lots of uh, lots of media and especially sort of gaming about how much we should separate sort of artist from the art how do we square and join or bind something especially games created by someone with unacceptable views or behavior what, what do you think peter especially from a sort of like call of cthulhu lovecraft was obviously a, a massive racist and a, quite a horrible person uh, yeah. how, how 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 do we get around, how do we sort of like square that away? Well, there's there's a lot of aspects to this year, and I don't want to I won't talk for half an hour, though I could probably talk for several hours about it. My my main takeaway would be that it's something that we do have to acknowledge. I see lots of people when it comes to Lovecraft saying, "Oh, you know, it was acceptable for the time." 
when it wasn't. He was racist even for the time. And when you boil down a lot of the stories to the the themes they've got, the the fear of is it miscegenation is the word. So race mixing is is a central fear of his that he exploits for a lot of his stories. Yeah, finding out you've got some kind of savage blood in your in your history, which leads to your corruption in the present. I, th- I think the best example, or one of the most notable examples, is probably the Shadow over Innsmouth. Actually, yes. a, gr- a greatly written, a great written piece of uh, fiction. But yeah, the whole thing is, yeah, racial mixing, basically. That no, sort of fear of the other, and yes, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it, on our podcast, we often look at Lovecraft's stories, original stories, and at that point, we have to say, right, on this episode, we're looking at a Lovecraft story, and there is going to be. We, you know, we don't use any terms that wouldn't be acceptable now, although Lovecraft certainly did. Just yep. look up the name of the cat in Rats in the Walls, if you want an example of that. What we what we then do is we accept that people might be offended or upset by the way he, act, he acted then and the way he wrote stories. But we try and take what's positive about what he did. And in fact, this is what games companies have done for years. Yeah. And what we've got in the Arkham Files is a fairly distinct from what Lovecraft himself wrote back in the 20s we've got a, a much more pulpy environment for for gaming in where you're not definitely going to lose and you can punch a monster in the face and get away with it yeah and also the like the certainly the fancy flight games that you, that you talked about there the arkham files games are all the the fancy flight games that they've done over the years eldritch horror arkham and the, the lcg more recently they all have quite a diverse cast of characters across uh, sexualities and race and it's yeah. really good to see that kind of representation in subject matter that's sort of like influenced by this person we talked on our latest cast about uh one of the most recent expansions so so the the arkham horror uh living card game is set in the 20s in arkham and one of the characters is rita young who's a, a person of color and a woman and is an athlete and you know when you look into the the history of of sports there was no women's long distance race event in the world before the 1980s. Oh, right, okay. You know, it it was it wasn't considered something that a woman should be doing in the early part, even in the early part of the 20th century. So it's you see the developers have made these conscious efforts to adapt the source material. Now, if we're talking more generally, my my position is always I don't want to support people who who I would consider having unacceptable views today if sure. they're still going to be using the money that I'm giving them in order to further prejudice. That would probably be my line. Yeah, you don't you don't want to personally financially support them and if, if you can if you can avoid it. So like for for instance I heard about when all the Zach S controversy was happening, I heard about a con somewhere that banned people running his games, running his material. How would you feel about sort of playing in a game that's effectively been written by someone like, like Zach S or someone else with like sort of unacceptable viewpoints or behaviours towards people in the community. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one. Um, yeah. I think first of all, you've got to be sensitive to anyone who who doesn't want to do that. Yeah, you know, you've got to got to respect what they think. For me personally, it's I probably wouldn't want to be involved in it. To me, and and, and even it's put me off wanting to play fifth uh, edition D and D as well. Well, it's one of a number of reasons that probably are playing <laughs> D&D 5th edition, just because it's a bit a bit of a clunky old-fashioned rule set nowadays. But, you know, the, the test is, is when, when it's something that you really want to play and be involved in, when it's, you know, produced by someone or it's got connotations that aren't great. I think it's, it's probably up to individual people to, to make that decision. 
yeah. but I would say you, 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 what you don't want to be doing is supporting people who are driving other people out the hobby or in the wider world, creating divisions in, in our society. Yeah, I mean, certainly we saw uh, uh, over Games Expo, we saw an, an instant where someone introduced some horrible imagery into, into a roleplay game and the, the organisers had to come down pretty hard and fast on on that on that person but i don't think that i don't think they would ever go so far as actually sort of like like banning call of cthulhu because that'd be crazy because so many people so many people play it i mean just to bring up another example there's been talk recently of there's a there's a a weird fiction award which is named after hp lovecraft now when you've got writers of color who are winning awards for their fiction do they want to be presented with a bust of uh, yeah. A notable racist when they've won it, and a lot of people say, you know, what you've got to do is take away, take the good aspects from his writing and try yeah. and remember that. But can you really pull those apart? Are you wanting just to sanitize it just for the sake of you know, just an award? It's yes, it's okay. Yes, you can try and and take away only the good parts and the effect that he had on on science fiction and horror, which you know was in many ways very profound. But you can't set. I don't believe there's any way to at, cleanly separate it from some of the the less the less what's the word, less acceptable stuff in our modern society because a lot of it's intrinsically linked. I think, like Peter was saying, that like they address it on the cast uh, every time you you cover a story, Peter. You, no, exactly. You, you address it on the cast. So I, I I think as long as we, as long as the good guys keep doing that effectively, if that's if that's the term I want to use. Is that, is that a term I want to use? Well, we're definitely the good guys in our cast, Ian, so I'm fine with that. Yeah. So uh, basically, basically, as long as long sort of good people keep an eye on this stuff and, and, and keep reminding people that, yeah, okay, you can have fun in this universe and, and yes, you can play your Call of Cthulhu's or, or whatever, but keep in mind, you know, this aspect as well and keep in mind that some people might be uncomfortable with those, those aspects and not want to play that particular game or not want to engage with that particular material as long as we don't sort of like stamp down on those people for censorship or any other sort of word we want to try and label them with, then I, I, I think the, the hobby will be okay, but we do need to keep vigilant about that stuff. So we're almost at the end of the show, and it would be remiss of me if I didn't make a small apology. Over the last couple of weeks, we have had a dearth of Monopoly news, and I know some of you are big fans and want to know all the latest hot Monopoly gossip. Well, to make up for this, I have got a double header for you today. Oh, so you got around, you, you got around all the blocks I put in your browsers. Right. Got around all the blocks. I was searching high and low, digging as far as I could with my digital pick, and I came across have to two... Take your computer next time. You will. Two interesting nuggets, and I say interesting because one is funny, the other, hmm, we'll talk about it. One is a new version of Monopoly that is Super Mario Collector's Edition. Oh yes. If you love the 1980s 8-bit NES graphics of Super Mario, you're going to love this Monopoly version. Uh, I must admit, Jamie, sorry to interrupt your flow. Go ahead. I'm stunned that there isn't already a Mario Monopoly. I mean, there is a Mario Monopoly, but this is a Super Mario Bros. Collector's Edition, and it's 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 yeah, it's specifically the classic NES version. So there is all the tokens, uh, like your character pieces, are 
the 8-bit style tokens. Um, the goal poles at the end of a level are houses. The castles are hotels. I have to say, the miniatures actually look really, really smart. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they're quite nice, as we says. Yeah. As you said, cool. as you as we said before, listen, if you play Monopoly, fantastic. If you enjoy it, fantastic. Buy, sell, and trade locations from all eight worlds, kids. All eight worlds. So if you really want 4-2, you get 4-2. Wow. Oh, no, those miniatures do look quite nice, actually, don't they? <laughs> they do look quite nice. Don't Listen look to too hard, you want to you, buy you it. You hear that? You hear that? The grumps are starting to thaw. It's wonderful. <laughs> and the other one I have, or I found out, uh, it was through a picture taken at uh, Utah Beach, or what was designated Utah Beach in Normandy. And that is a copy of Monopoly D-Day 75th Anniversary Edition. This is in such bad taste. <laughs> like, seriously, what on earth? It's, it's in bad taste. There have been several inappropriate versions of Monopoly over the years. Um, this is... Yeah, we might go back to this in a future podcast about... Inappropriate theming. Inappro- inappropriate theming and conflict that is still... Well, was in human memory. And we go... Yeah, do we really want to be gamifying this now? Of course, we, there's been many, many World War II board games, just as an example of World War II. Um, but I know there's quite a few people who have a moral objection to it on the bounds of, on the grounds of this actually happened within, you know, the last hundred years and people died and it's... It's... Are we disrespecting their memory? As I said, we'll come back to it. So... It's up to you whether you think it's in good taste or bad taste. Um, also, a lot of people who saw this were kind of commenting, going, do you know what? Even if they'd, if they'd said, you know, a portion of the money, you know, a portion of, of the money that you spend will be given to a, a military charity, their veterans charity, that would have been, I don't want to say acceptable, but it would have mitigated it slightly. There doesn't appear to be any of that on on the box, which leads a lot to people to assume it, it doesn't exist, so it seems more like a shameless cash grab. But yeah. It might just be a shameless cash grab. Anyway, I think that's about all we have time for. We'd like to uh, thank our executive producers of the Lucky Sparrow Gaming Cafe. There you go, guys. There is more Monopoly news, and there will always be more Monopoly news. And we'd also like to say hello to our newest patron, Jason Johns. Hello and welcome, and thank you very much for throwing us some of your money every month. That really helps us fund the cast and uh, help us out with the website hosting and all that jazz. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, Peter, where can the uh, lovely folks who are listening find yourself and Frank on the internet of things? We're on. We're everywhere on, with our podcast. Everywhere we can be. We're on Spotify and iTunes and whatever podcast app you use. We should be on there. We're on Facebook. Is drawn to the flame. Maybe drawn to the flame podcast. Same on Twitter. Uh, I'm United on Twitter, which is U N I T L E D. So yeah, just come and say hello. We don't. You can find our website, but all it has is the podcast on it. So <laughs> check out our Facebook. We we often get cards from FFG to tease before they come out. So if they you do. play mm. Arkham Horror, go and check out our Facebook, and they will all be on there. Yeah, I do recommend checking out their cast. It is rather excellent. Finally, uh, we also have a Patreon as well. So we're Drawn to the Flame podcast on Patreon. So uh, if you like our podcast, you can go and support us there as well. Cool. We will put all those links in the show notes. 
So thank you very much for listening, everyone. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out and Drawn to Flame is to share those podcasts around. Uh, Drop us a review and rating on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And you can also follow The Giant Brain on Twitter at The Giant Brain, Instagram, Giant Brain UK, Facebook, The Giant Brain, uh, our website is giantbrain.co.uk. And you can email us about anything in the show or for questions for future shows at giantbrainuk at gmail.com. I'd just like to thank Peter very much for coming along and joining us today. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And uh, yes, we will maybe we'll have you on again in the future for more Cthulhu-based chat. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Look out yourself. Bye-bye. Bye.